We come tonight to Philippians chapter 3, looking particularly at verses 12 to 16. Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. And our theme for this evening is Marks of Christian Maturity. Marks of Christian Maturity. Healthy things grow and mature. Parents of little children look out for the signs and milestones of progress, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally in our children. Uh, gardeners, gardeners over the next few months will want to see growth in the plants they've bedded into the backyard. Business wi- businessmen and women look at quarterly reports and assess their revenues, wanting to see growth of one kind or another. It should be the same in the spiritual lives of Christian men and women and young people. The Christian life is not about getting saved and then standing still. It's about getting saved and pressing on, maturing in our faith. So far in Philippians chapter 3, Paul has warned his readers against Jewish false teachers who were claiming that real Christians, if if you wanted to call yourself a Christian, you had to be circumcised. And obey the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. In the first few verses of chapter 3. Paul is warned against having that man-centered works-based attitude. And Paul then moves on to talk about the singular focus. The main goal of his life. Which according to verse 10. Is to know Christ. He's not been saved because of anything he had done. And Paul had done a lot. But he's saved by the righteousness that comes Through faith in Jesus Christ. Righteousness that Jesus gives as a gift. Boys and girls, do you remember we were thinking at Arrows yesterday about the breastplate of righteousness that Jesus places over us. And covers over uh, all the stain of our sin with his perfect record. And Paul celebrates that. And having received that gift, he wants to know more and more of what it is to follow Christ and understand his salvation. And our key verse for this evening is verse 15. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Paul here is subtly challenging the Philippians. He's saying, if you think, yourself, if you think of yourself as someone who's mature, here are the things that you need to put into practice. Most of us would probably like to think that we've matured at least a bit. That we're wiser and more experienced than we used to be. We understand things that we didn't understand when we were younger. Children often like to show that they can manage things that only big kids can manage. Maybe riding a bigger bike or playing on the team with the older kids. We like to show that we've matured. And Paul knows that. And and so wisely and uh, precisely he's, he's laying down a challenge for us here. If you think you're mature, here's the evidence you should see. And this, of course, is not to foster pride within us. We'll see more of that as we go on this evening. But there should be a healthy desire in us to be maturing. And Paul says, if you want that, here's the evidence you should see in your lives. We look at it in verses 12 to 16 under three headings. First of all, mature Christians know that we're not there yet. Mature Christians know that we're not there yet. Notice again Paul's life ambition, chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him, that's know Christ of course, and the power of his resurrection 
and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. We thought about those words in more detail last week. But Paul is saying here that he wants to know Christ, that he wants to become like Christ, ultimately by being resurrected as Christ was. Now, in many ways, Paul could say with a great deal of justification that he did know Christ. You only need to glance through your New Testament. Paul has written 13 letters that make up a good chunk of the New Testament. And you see how well this man knew Jesus. And you could have looked at Paul if you'd known him all his life and said, that man is completely transformed. He's not the man he used to be at all. He's pastoring churches now. He used to persecute churches. He doesn't hate Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's not proud of his Jewish religious upbringing. And in terms of it saving him from his sin, he thinks it's rubbish. If ever there was a mature, transformed, holy man who knew the Lord Jesus Christ, who understood and lived out the gospel, it was Paul. But what does he say in verse 12? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. In other words, Paul says, I'm not there yet. Spiritually speaking, I'm not where I know I will be and where I want to be. He doesn't want the Philippians to misunderstand anything that he said so far in this chapter. He does know Christ. His life has been transformed in many ways. But he's not perfect. He hasn't finished becoming like Jesus. He mentions in verse 11 that he's looking forward to his resurrection from the dead. It's only then that Paul and indeed any of us will be perfect. One writer says this about Paul's desire to know Christ. He says, since beginning to know him on the Damascus road, Paul had found in Christ an inexhaustible fullness of knowledge, but there was always more of him to know. Always more of him to know. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, that when the perfect comes, in other words, when we're in glory, and there are some who would interpret that differently, uh, but I believe what he says, when the perfect comes means when we are perfect, when we are in glory with Christ, then the partial, the imperfect, will pass away. Right now, we don't yet know everything that there is to know about Jesus. We have more to learn, perhaps, about his sufferings, not just on the cross, but through the rejection and hatred that he constantly faced for much of his life. We've more to learn about his love for us, about his intercession for us, his divine nature, his human nature. One writer says about Paul's use of the word perfect here, it designates the qualities of salvation in their entirety. Salvation in its entirety, everything there is to know and believe and love and understand about salvation. Well, when will we have that? Not until we're in heaven. That's when we will be perfect. 
something that strikes you about very successful people, and you can choose any industry or field at all for this, is that they always want to learn more. Um, One of my favourite music artists, despite the fact that he's now well into his 70s, is Bruce Springsteen. He's one of the best-selling music artists of all time. He sold over 140 million records. In the early 2000s, he'd already made his fortune. He'd been around for 25 years already. He was multi-millionaire. But in the early 2000s, he got his band back together to produce a brand new album. But he found that with the, the developments in technology and music production, in his own words, he and his band had to learn all over again how to make a record. But they did it because they loved music, they loved entertaining, and so they were willing to learn. They didn't just take the attitude, well, we've made our millions, we can, uh, we can live off the back of our greatest hits and tour on those. They said, no, we don't know everything there is to know about our industry. There's more for us to learn, so let's learn it. And if ever you or I, as Christians' friends, find ourselves thinking, I pretty much know all there is to know about God, Probably heard everything I need to hear from the Bible. That's a dangerous, immature attitude. That's pride and arrogance. It might even betray a love growing cold for Christ. No mature followers of Jesus, sorry, mature followers of Jesus are spurred on by the belief that we're not there yet. That there is an ocean's worth more of love and knowledge and depth of understanding of Christ and salvation. What motivated Paul to press on? Or it could be translated literally to grasp. That word to press on. It could also be translated to grasp Christ more. What motivated him? Look at verse 12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul wants to grasp hold of Jesus because on the Damascus road, Jesus grasped hold of him. In love and grace, Christ grabbed Paul and changed his life. And Paul wants to grasp more and more of his wonderful saviour in return. You sometimes hear stories of people who have been rescued from dreadful danger by complete strangers and Uh, Of course, before the incident, they didn't know their rescuers at all. And after the incident, they strike up a bond of friendship with them that lasts the rest of their lives. You think, for example, of the the 12 boys rescued out of a cave in Thailand in 2018. I think there's even maybe been a movie made about it. And expert divers from various countries, including the UK, rescued them. And often in, in situations like that, there's this bond that develops between those who were rescued and their rescuers for the rest of their lives. Suddenly they're interested to know about each other and who they are and and what they do and where they come from. Paul was grabbed by Jesus. He was rescued off the road of destruction and he wants to know as much about his rescuer as he possibly can. Can you and I say the same? Do you not want to know everything there is to know about your rescuer? And if we don't have that zeal, that desire to know him better that we should. As I mentioned, it could be a sign of love growing cold. Perhaps that's because other things are clouding our vision and 
have become too important for us. Some of you quote that, uh, that hymn or, or that Christian song sometimes about looking in, in, toward Jesus Christ, looking full in his wonderful face and the things of this world grow strangely dim as we look at him in his glory and grace. And that's a, a wonderfully true and challenging statement that as we look at Christ, the things of this world grow dimmer and less important Do you want to know more about your rescuer, your saviour? Pick up Professor Leakey's little books, The Cross He Bore, The Victory of the Lamb. You'll learn more about Jesus. Pick up J.C. Ryle's devotional books on each of the four Gospels. Excellent books. Depending on the age range in your house, they would be good for family worship. And in them you'll learn more about Jesus. Read the scriptures thoughtfully, carefully, slowly, prayerfully. You'll learn more about Jesus. The Christian life is a journey and we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And until we see Christ face to face, there is always sin to repent of and new things to learn and more of God's word to sink our teeth into, more of Jesus to grab hold of. So mature Christians know that we're not there yet. Secondly, mature Christians know we must press on. Mature Christians know we must press on. If you look at verse 13, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Toward the goal. And in verse 14 he calls this goal. The upward call of God. And when he says there the upward call of God. It's really a summary of his whole relationship with Christ. The destiny that he has as someone saved by Jesus Christ. It's an upward call. It it puts you if you know Christ and are walking with Christ. On an upward trajectory. Toward heaven and glory. And Paul is saying here that that upward trajectory, reaching that goal, requires effort. It requires effort. He says, I press on in this goal. And that's why God has given us, of course, the gift of the Holy Spirit, our helper, who dwells in the hearts of each believer, who who helps us with this effort that we need to make. But another part of the evidence of the power of God in our lives is that we are motivated and that we put effort into our Christian lives, that we want to grow in Christ-likeness. We want to mature in faith. Verse 13, Paul talks about that one thing he does. Look what he says. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This is the effort that he puts in. He forgets. And he strains. And this is what we must do as well. He forgets and he strains. What is it that we need to forget as Christians as we press on in our Christian lives? Well, there are both good things and bad things that we need to forget. If you, if you follow me here. Some Christians need to forget, in a sense, good things. Past victories. We can't think, for example, I overcame that temptation years ago. It'll never be a problem for me again. 
We can't think that particular sin that so-and-so struggles with, I've never even wanted to do that. It's not a problem for me. That's, again, a dangerously complacent attitude. We should be thinking to ourselves, oh, I've, I've done plenty of mission teams or served on camps or went to this or that conference. I've read X amount of Christian books. I've been going to church for X amount of years. That's looking back and looking back in pride. None of us like it. Well, certainly sometimes it can get a bit old when someone is just always talking about the glory days, the good old days. There's a very odd film. I'm not sure too many of you would really enjoy it, but it's called Napoleon Dynamite. Um, Napoleon Dynamite is a teenager living out in rural America and he has an uncle named Uncle Rico. And Uncle Rico is in maybe his late 40s, but he still wears the clothes that he wore when he was in high school. And he carries an American football everywhere he goes. And he talks about how good he was back in the day, even though the football coach didn't play him in the biggest game of the season. If only he played me, if only the coach had played me, we'd have won state, he claims. Some of us tend to look back with an exaggerated sense of our greatness. Paul says here, forget past victories. But he's also telling us to forget past failures. And this might be more of an issue for for some of us this evening that some Christians, we we constantly think about some of the worst things, our worst feelings, whether we were Christians at the time of that feeling or not. Can't believe I said that. Can't believe I did that. Can't believe I ever acted like that. You even hear Christians sometimes saying, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Well, you might say that very sincerely, but you're sincerely wrong. Are you saying that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough for God to forgive your sin? Do you think you're in some sort of special category that the power of Christ on the cross feels to to see to? In the eyes of God, you're not defined by your past sins, but by your present righteousness. Given to you as a gift by Jesus Christ. So ignore Satan's accusations and lies about you not being any good to the church, not having any gifts to use. The gospel is more powerful than your past failures. Bless the Lord, O my soul, says the psalmist, who forgives all your iniquities. Press on, says Paul, without constantly looking back over your shoulder. Paul is using language as he often does from the world of, of uh, athletic endeavour, of the Olympics perhaps. And you don't need to be a gold medal winning runner to know that if an athlete runs forward while constantly looking over their shoulder, maybe worrying about some of their competitors coming up behind them, they're not going to run their best race. They're slowing themselves down by constantly checking and looking over their, their shoulders. They're ruining their momentum. They need to focus. They need to run look straight ahead down the track or they'll lose momentum. Christian, don't look back over your shoulder in either pride or despair. Keep your eyes fixed on the goal of seeing Christ face to face. The other thing that happens on the running track as the runners come right to the end is they strain forward to be the first to to break the tape or cross the line. 
And you see them take that giant stride right at the end, almost diving over the line. And Paul is thinking of that imagery here with, when, he's, when he talks about straining forward with every fiber of his being, with every bit of power he can muster, he strains toward the goal. And you'll notice the language here is all present tense. He doesn't say I have forgotten or I have strained or sometimes I strain. He's doing these things now all the time, constantly. That's the Christian life. You might have felt really excited to go to church this morning. You might feel very unexcited next Lord's Day morning. You might find it easy to use your gifts uh, to serve Christ this week or next week. You might not want to bother next month. You might not have had to strain very much last year. Maybe there will be more straining this year. It's constant. It requires effort. This is the nitty gritty hour by hour, day to day straining in our personal lives, in our marriages, our work, our parenting, our serving in the church, our witness, straining toward the reward of heaven through it all. Does your Christian life feel like a lot of effort? Does it feel tiring at times? Does it feel demanding at times? Good. That's a sign that you're truly on track. And that you're headed toward glory. And of course it's not that our Christian life is just drudgery. We have so much to enjoy as Christians. And Paul is even, we'll get on to it in a moment. There's even joy in this section of Paul's letter. As he tells them to strain on. But we should resist any kind of false teaching friends. That tells us that if we're Christians somehow our lives should be an easy thing. Forget what lies behind Strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on, loved ones, in your goal of being with Christ. So mature Christians know that we're not there yet. Mature Christians know that we need to press on. Thirdly and finally, mature Christians know where to turn for help. Mature Christians know where to turn for help because we do need help. It's straining, it's tiring, it's difficult. We come back to where we started, verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, says Paul. And then he says, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, Paul is not suggesting here that his readers can simply take or leave what he's been writing about. When he says, If in anything you think otherwise, you know, he's not saying that you can just take or leave what I'm writing as suggestions. Paul is an apostle of Christ. He's writing with the authority of Christ by the power of the spirit of Christ. He's not writing suggestions. But what he means here is that if while they strain forward together, if while they study God's word and listen to their pastors, if in the course of that they find that there are some minor things, some secondary issues, if I can put it that way, on which they disagree. He says, talk about it, work it out, study God's word, and the solution will present itself. God will reveal that to you. Well, where does God reveal things to us? He reveals it to us in his word. And so he's also saying to them here that as they mull over what Paul is saying to them, If they find things in their lives that they do need to change 
as they press on and strain on, God will reveal that to them as well. The word that Paul uses there for reveal in verse 15, it's only ever used in the Bible to describe supernatural communication from God. It's always used to describe God speaking to human beings. For example, when Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ, Matthew 16, 17, Jesus tells him that this was revealed to him, same word, by God. And so Paul writes to the Philippians as he urges them to mature in their faith. He says, if they find obstacles in the way, if there's things they need to figure out, the solution will be found in what God reveals in his word. Paul has touched on the theme of unity all through his letter and we see it again here, his, his desire for them to be of one mind about these things. He wants this congregation to be one in their attitude and in their goal of seeing Christ. He wants them to agree and understand what God has revealed in his word. He finishes the section in verse 16 by saying, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And hold true there is military language. And again, we've seen Paul using military language already in Philippians. Back in chapter 1, he said that what had happened to him, his, his imprisonment in Rome, he says it has served to advance the gospel. And that's battlefield language as well. Moving the gospel forward, taking enemy territory. And as the gospel advances here, Paul says that he wants them to hold fast and The language means marching in time together, marching to the drumbeat of Scripture. What we have attained, what we have learned, what we have received from God, that's that's our beat. That's what we march towards. That's what we keep going with as we move forward together. Don't get distracted by secondary concerns. March together to the drumbeat of Scripture. That's where we'll find help. When the race is taking its toll upon us. One thing I do, says Paul, his one goal was to gain Christ. What's your one goal? It's easy for many of us to say that it was the same as Paul's. Of course we want to be in heaven. Of course we want to be with Christ. But is there evidence and growing evidence in our lives, friends, of that? Is our one goal evident from our use of the Lord's day? Is it evident from the things that we pray about? That we're not just bringing a shopping list of personal requests in our prayers. But we're praying for the the building up of Christ's church. For opportunities to share our faith. For the courage we need to speak for Christ. Is it evident from the priority we give to reading and learning the words that are all about Christ? The scriptures. Is it evidence from the investments that we make in the kingdom? Time sacrificed, wealth sacrificed, gifts used. It could be that you're here today and not running this race, Paul has described, that you're not running it at all. Maybe because you're proud. You can point to a long list of impressive things about you that you think make you a good person. Earlier in this chapter, Paul, who had... More religious achievements than you or I ever will. He said such things are rubbish. Things you might think would make you a good person. Your background, your, 
academic achievements, your religious record, your church attendance. He says, if you think any of that saves you, it's rubbish. Only being grabbed by Jesus, receiving the gift he gives of his own righteousness. That's what saves you. Or maybe you're not running this race because you think, Jesus won't want me. What I've done is too awful. I've resisted him for too long. No, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. And so run your race, press on with joy, focus on the goal, more of Christ, all of Christ, life with Christ forever. Forget what lies behind, strain forward to what lies ahead. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Amen.